You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome to this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Today I am joined by Cannibal Corpse bass player, longtime member, original member, Alex Webster. Thank you very much for being a part of uh, the Van Flip today, Al. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, you guys have a busy, uh, a busy tenure, but you've been busier in the last couple of years. You have a new album coming out. Uh, well, as this airs, it comes out two days uh, from now. Uh, Chaos Horrific is the 16th album in the long discography, along with uh, some, live al- some live albums, box sets, and other mm-hmm. kind of like extended plays you guys have released over the years. So what, I mean, um, we'll start with the basic questions that you would probably get asked in a regular interview but like what sets chaos horrific apart from like the other 15 albums in the discography um well one of the the big differences is just it was recorded more or less you know before we had even started the tour cycle for violence unimagined Mm. just because you know the pandemic obviously was a big you know disruption for everybody in the music industry and in all sorts of industries of course so we were in a position where we had an album coming out, Violence Unimagined, and didn't have any tour touring lined up for it. So we thought, let's just start writing right away, you know? So that's one of the, the things that pops out to me is what's different about it? Well, it's different is that we started writing it really shortly after the the one that came before it. And that's, that's not something we'd normally do. Um, and that may have changed a little bit of how we we wrote for it i think like we were just kind of already we we were the the last album was still so fresh that we kind of knew not to repeat things that we did on that album Mm -hmm. like i I feel like this one turned out sounding in a weird way like a continuation of the last one but also different because we avoided repeating ourselves it was easier to avoid than it would have been after having toured on the album for two to three years if you know what i mean yeah i'm picking it up sorry i was adjusting volumes as well cool but yeah um one thing i definitely noticed about the beginning of the uh album is you know something that's kind of uh you know made fun of in death metal is the base uh for you know tracking and recording and stuff like that but on this particular album it comes out right away and kind of like sticks you right in the face and obviously you're known for your you know creative and ingenious ways of playing bass and showcasing bass so you know you're kind of one of the purveyors of like you know bass in death metal so it is a great way to start the record off i should say oh thanks um you know i I guess we hadn't really started a song with a bass intro in a little while, so it just seemed like something cool to do. And um, that song ended up being the one that just seemed like it should go first. Like, if you listen to all the songs on the album, you know, which when we go into the studio, we're not usually sure which which song's going to be first, which one's going to be last or whatever. We kind of figure that out later on in the recording. And... um, so we didn't know that one was going to be first, but it, it ended up seeming right, and I'm I'm happy that it starts yeah. out with a bass a bass part. It's it's cool um, because I didn't write a whole lot of other bass lines that are jumping out at you on this album. So it's nice to, you know, get it in there early. I guess I've had other albums that have a lot more bass features, but at least this one started off with one. How do you how do you guys go about you know deciding that? Is it something that you decide you know early on like? I'm going to take a back seat on this particular one or like this is the album that I'm going to show everybody like you know what I can actually do in this form. You know, it's um it's a song by song kind of thing and then sometimes 
like for bass playing anyway just talking about like the bass lines i write it'll be um decided in the studio um for the title track of this album i had written some kind of complicated bass parts for certain sections of it and it just wound up feeling like they were going to detract um even though they were kind of cool parts but i'm like you know what let me just go more straightforward eric and i agreed that you know eric's our guitar player but also our producer and we agreed that straightforward approach would work for that part so it's sort of a song by song thing what's the song need sometimes we end up writing a bass line you know in the studio where it's like okay this is um something i hadn't intended to do here but it just works so yeah we take it song by song figure out what's appropriate i you know if i'm writing the song i can kind of fit something in but if it's one of the other guys' songs, I'm not going to be like, hey, okay, this is a great part you got here. I'm going to put a solo on top of that. How's that you. sound? Or, or whatever. You. you know, I'm, I'm trying to do what they want and what would make their song sound the best when it's one of the songs they wrote. Interesting. So when you guys, um, I know you, got, you have a studio where you live. Are you still out in Oregon currently? Yes. Okay, so yep. uh, I know you have like a studio out where, you, where you're at um, and you recorded most of the stuff during covid for the last album you know in mm-hmm. in your in your place do you guys all like write separately or and then just pre- present it as a you know like a, a completed song or do you guys like share ideas uh, around you know and, and how has that differed because again you you guys have been around for 30 plus years like how has that differed over the course of like how you begin how you began writing and how it is like now Oh, it's it's different. Like now, it is really individual. You know, Rob will write songs alone. I'll write songs alone. Eric will write songs alone, and then we'll basically be presenting the finished song to the band in demo form most of the time. That's mm. that's what happens. But in the old days, a lot of times we didn't even think of the riff until we were all together. Yeah. You know, so it it was really organic back then. You can kind of hear too how some of those songs meander. <laughs> if you listen to our first few albums, there's some songs where it's like they have a whole ton of riffs. There's not much repetition because we were just kind of building it little by little in the practice room, and that gradually changed over time to where oh, by maybe probably around the fifth album or so, it was mostly you know individual writers it just seemed to be a more um coherent way to make a song you know like it's kind of fun though and it's something i actually think about sometimes like maybe we should do at least one song that way again where one guy does a riff and then the next guy does a riff and then you know and just see where it takes us and see if it's it's if it's good or not yeah i think someone on the spot on the spotness would you know cause some like spark and creativity obviously because like you were saying mm-hmm. earlier and i'm not trying to detract from the point you're trying to make but you know like obviously when the the younger guys get into a room and they want to write something you know like you said earlier you got something to prove you want to i mean like and you're you guys are writing all this stuff and doing all this stuff at a time where all this is kind of really just starting to kind of catch you know death metal is starting to get a wave and you know obviously florida has their stuff going on and you know you're trying to outdo and out you know outclass mm-hmm. everybody else so it would seem that you know you guys get in a room and just write the most craziest shit and then after a couple of years of doing that you kind of figure out you know you're not mature i hate saying that word but like figure out the sauce you know yeah yeah i think you know we definitely were learning as we went <laughs> you know i don't want to say we didn't know what we were doing but we kind of didn't you know we were just figuring it out how old were you and when we were, you joined the band sorry for interrupting um oh no worries um i was 19 okay. when the band got yeah. together i'm pretty sure <laughs> it was yeah i would have just turned 19 like that october of 88 and um everybody else was in that same age group yeah. you know between say 19 and 21 22 thereabouts you know so we were all really young I think a lot of us had taken lessons here or there as musicians, but overall we were learning by listening to Creator albums and Slayer <laughs> albums, Dark Angel albums, you know what I mean? That's right, like yeah. we were trying to figure out what those bands were doing, you know, and other bands that we liked and just kind of learning that way. How hard was it so, for you as a, as a, well, I know you started on a guitar and then moved over to bass at some point, but like how how hard was it for you as a bassist trying to figure out like what was going on in those earlier albums as it was like mixed down in the you know in the master 
Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat, or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. Well, you know, actually, I never was a real guitar player. I, I've <laughs> never been in a band as a guitar player or anything. I did have, yeah, I started when I was a real little kid, like, learning some guitar, and then stopped that and started playing bass when I was, <clears throat> excuse me, like around 14, I think. Mm, okay. But, um, but, yeah, this is, you know, it's it's really this kind of music when it first came out like most of the producers didn't know what to do with it um if you listen to like the kind of bass playing that you'd hear in a more traditional kind of heavy metal band like judas priest or iron maiden those it's really more tied into the drumming a lot of the time the guitars and the bass can be separate a lot of the time where once you started having the thrash metal thing like if you listen to metallica's first few actually all of their albums really but I would say actually especially ride the lightning and master of puppets the guitar and the bass are really together and it seems like they're doing the same riff most of the time mm. and so that was kind of what we were trying to do and um i think a lot of death metal bands you know pretty much everybody it, like when you're thinking bass in death metal you're thinking of someone who's basically trying to play what the guitar is doing as well right and um you add low tuning into that which we did later on by our fifth album we started doing some low low tune stuff and it makes it just that much harder because then the guitars are starting to dip into the bass player space so um yeah it's been a learning process the whole time i'm still kind of figuring it out um like i said i'll work with the guys in the studio and we'll be like well what works here me trying to follow the bass part or, or excuse me the guitar part or should i do something simpler you know um, or something a little harder or just something completely different so um yeah it's a learning process because it's you know there's certain things that are traditional in this kind of music but overall i think there was a lot of stuff going on that was brand new yeah you can hear it in in the old old thrash death metal black metal early albums from the 80s you can tell that a lot of the producers didn't know what was going on maybe a lot of the guys in the bands weren't sure exactly what would yeah. be the best thing to do musically in each situation. You know, it was just everybody was learning. Yeah, you don't have a lot of reference points to like point no. to at that time frame. And um, God, there's, you know, I could ask you a lot about, I, I don't want to get sidetracked. I, I want to have like a somewhat of a flow, but mm-hmm. we're probably, we're probably going to get all sidetracked here because I have so many questions to ask you about the differences between that now and then and, and everything like that. But let's, well, I'll, 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 try to, I'll try to keep us on track here. But um, speaking of which, you know, being a part of the community for such a long time, like, how have you, like, your sound for, you know, album A through Z or whatever, how do you, how does technology and how did just, like, your skill level change how, like, your bass sounds? Like, how often do you find a different tone? How often do you approach it differently? And is it by you know is it by song is it by album is it by just you know era so to speak or how do you go about that um probably i would say by album like each album we're trying to figure out a bass sound that will go with the rhythm guitar the rhythm guitar ends up getting tracked first like the final rhythm guitar and so much of what makes a death metal album sound great like a large percentage of it is how the rhythm guitar sounds and the bass is meant to complement that like it's pretty rare that you find someone talking about an album and saying that the bass tone made made it or broke it kind of thing it's it can they can say that about rhythm guitars so the bass can be a little bit unsung in the way that it supports the rhythm guitar so yeah we could 
I have a certain tone that I use live and I kind of use that all the time. And our live sound man will dial me in the way he needs to dial me in and it works well. But for each album, we'll end up just experimenting with different amps, different pedals, different things like that. You know, I, I use the same bass, same strings, you know, that kind of stuff, same pickups or whatever. That stuff is the same pretty much all the time. Mm. But we will mess around with the rig in the studio to make it support the rhythm guitar the best it can. So yeah, that's like the order, by the way, in the studio, like we'll get the drums down. Once the drums are down, to me, that's like the frame, the foundation yeah. and framework <laughs> of the house, you know, and then after that, you're putting the rest of it on. And um, so then the rhythm guitar comes next, then the bass, and then they'll start in on vocals and solos. And then it's onto the mix after all that's done. So um, yeah, the bass, yeah, it varies depending on how the guitar tone turned out, nice. you know, and that's, but yeah, that's something that we really want to make sound awesome and i think we've we've had some really good guitar sounds and hopefully my bass tones made them sound even better yeah. somehow you know is do you uh do you procure your sound with a mix of analog and digital or is it just one or the other or you know like um well we we're pretty you know old school in that yeah we're miking a cabinet okay. i think i've only done i've I've only done one album with Cannibal Corpse where it was direct, and that was Skeletal Domain when Mark Lewis produced us. We um, used an Aguilar. I don't want to go too in the weeds with the gear here. <laughs> I'm not sure how much people care, but we had an Aguilar Tone Hamber DI and a, a Dark Glass B7K DI, and we blended those. And that's what Mark used as the two channels. But for every other album, I'm pretty sure we've you know, had a rig, yeah. you know, a bass amp, cabinet mic'd up but we also do a di line and we might put a plug-in on it like we i think we use the dark glass plug-in mm. on chaos horrific and um on a clean channel or something uh, eric does all that stuff you know he'll record um the mic you know the the rig the main signal but then he'll also record a di and maybe even a an overdrive channel from it just depends so mm. he's got at least two channels to work with and the one channel is completely clean in case something just goes wrong there's this technology now that probably most of the musicians listening or watching this would know about called reamping and if you have a good di signal then you can it, it's a nice safety net if it turns out that your main signal isn't working in the mix or whatever you can yeah. just play that di through an amp so it's like this track that you've already recorded you play it through an amp and record the amp sound and then it'll sound you know good it'll sound like that setup even if that wasn't the original setup that you had when you recorded that track cool. so we haven't had to do that i don't think with my bass other than um for violence unimagined mm -hmm. we had to do it because i recorded in oregon and then sent the tracks right, down to right. eric and then he reamped them down there right that's interesting so what was do you um do you prefer not to go direct is that why you've only chosen or that is that why you only did it the one time or was that more of like mark's just experiment or you know y'all's experiment with mark in, in that space and is it just something that didn't work for you guys as a band and you just didn't go back to that no offense to mark or you know your choices in that album but no every producer we've worked with has done a great job and they all have different styles you know and mm -hmm. yeah the guys liked mark but for sure eric was a better fit obviously for for what we wanted i guess but i i love the work mark did with us too it's just two different kinds of production um but what i've learned since the early days because when we first started going in you know scott burns was our producer in the beginning and i remember sometimes he'd be like hey let us do this let us do that and we're after time we learned hey let's stay out of the producer's way because that's why we hired him to produce the album you know like <laughs> let's not try and let our own idea of what this should sound like get in the way of the professionals the professional that we hired to do that so i do that with the bass stuff i have like i said i have a great live rig that i love and that one i am in charge of you know like i put it together and i love it mm. and i will present it to each producer like hey this is what i use live do you think we can use it and sometimes they can use use it sometimes they can use parts of it or sometimes they want to completely use their own thing mm. but i don't want to force my rig my live rig onto them and make them have to 
struggle with the album when they have some rig that they're so used to using that works so well for them you know i'll just i, I try to stay out of the producer's way unless i really hear something going wrong mm. you know like that i just can't stand but um i just if we hire them it's because we trusted them in the first place because we heard them do other things that we thought were good yeah so try to stay out of their way and then at the end if the album isn't exactly what we'd hoped it would be or whatever production wise we might work with someone else or or we might work with someone else just to mix things up even if we were satisfied it really depends but yeah I, I stay out of their way they they know more about it than i do right you know is that a learned behavior over the years like how long did it take you guys how many albums did it take you guys to like realize like i can let go of some of the reins here because uh, these people obviously know what they're doing more so in that space than we do but like how long how many albums were you into it before you figured that out i mean i mean scott burns was always producing those first five albums but i think that we were probably suggesting stuff that we wouldn't bother suggesting mm. later on you know like hey look, let's try this let's try that it's like hey maybe let's just let scott produce the album since he's the producer you know like so we were probably you know it's possible that we could have been suggesting stuff that was pointless and sort of wasting his time yeah. occasionally um and after a while you just learn oh okay you know relax we can trust him make a suggestion here or there but overall um you know if a guy's done a bunch of great sounding albums just kind of i my recommendation to everyone just let him do his thing mm -hmm. you know yeah um, how does Alex get into the fall into the cracks of like death metal? What's what's that like? How, how did you fall in? How did you fall oh, in line with death metal? How did I get into it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's probably a very similar story to a lot of other people that are my age that were into metal mm -hmm. in the eighties. Like you know, I started out with you know accept and iron maiden and stuff like that you know coming from liking rock as a kid you know just like regular rock yeah and and then yeah getting into accept iron maiden judas priest stuff like that and then you know hearing metallica especially you know it's weird i heard a couple early metallica songs on um i think it was either metal shop or q107's midnight metal hour i, I grew up in buffalo mm -hmm. as uh, the other cannibal guys were all from the buffalo area so we got two sets of radio stations we'd get all the buffalo ones and all the toronto ones and so um the 97 rock and buffalo had metal shop which was syndicated and then they also did their own hour long thing and then um T toronto had yeah q107 and they had midnight metal hour so we'd listen to both of those and this is like so old school that sometimes I'd have like one of those old cassette decks and like mm. set it next to the stereo yeah. to record <laughs> yeah, yeah, with yeah. a little condenser mic, you know, just to, to to get some of these things like and keep them and listen again because that was the only way really. So I remember hearing back on one of those old shows some Metallica songs, but they weren't the fast ones. I think that the the guy on the radio show was like, oh, probably the fast stuff's going to be too much for for my <laughs> listeners. So yeah. I heard um, Fight Fire with Fire at a scout camp. Um, one of the other scouts knew, you know, that I was into metal. He's like, hey, man, come here, check this out. He had a little radio in his tent, and he played me Fight Fire with Fire. Mm. And I was like, holy crap, how are they even doing that? Like, I couldn't, you know, so that kind of fast guitar picking with that kind of saturation and muting, and just really even up and down picking to where it's, it's James Hetfield's up and down picking on that song and on most of the stuff he does really is so consistent and that level of saturation and palm muting was so new at that time that I didn't know what was going on I'm like how is he doing it it sounds like all down picks but yeah. it's the speed of up and down picking and it just it's a great song really kind of a weird arrangement too like to this day I would say that's kind of a hard song to learn to play even though it's you know 40 years old plus now or yeah just about 40 years old i guess um so that i know that's not death metal but that kind of led me that that was one of those moments that i remember right like well, it, like it holy like shit history it like altered the yeah, history a little bit it, ex absolutely that was that was a big one you know like it and i still love the old you know the old school heavy metal that i liked you know that well it wasn't ever a thing where like all of a sudden those bands became obsolete yeah i still listened to them too but i was like wow this is 
this is really awesome. And I, I had heard Venom and a couple fast bands like that, but they weren't... Um, I hadn't heard that kind of precision before mm. with the picking and the performance and everything. So, um, so that was a big moment for sure. And that made me think that's what I want to play if, if I, if I can, because of course it sounded just impossible. So at that time. You're, you're not playing guitar when you're first finding Metallica, you weren't playing instruments or anything like that when you, um, I just was getting into playing bass and guitar a little bit, both. Okay. Like I had a, a kind of a beginner guitar and a beginner bass and I did start taking bass lessons but I would still mess around with guitar a little for fun but it became clear bass bass was what I wanted to do even right. though I had both instruments available to me was it more because um, of a and I'm sorry to keep harping on that but it was it more of rock influence playing that you're doing at this particular point and then you know as you progress in your musical journey you're finding like Metallica and then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah yeah I started out trajectory. like I remember I remember getting together with some friends from school that also played music and like rock and metal and we played like Rocky Like a Hurricane, not very good, at least on my end. I can say I don't want to, we, we played that song probably 20 times nice. together or whatever. We had a, a couple songs like that that we could sort of get through and we, we just <laughs> play the heck out of them. It was just so much fun to play music with other people. Yeah, That's really one of the big driving forces for me to like want to be a musician was to be part of something like that to hear it all happening at once you know it's one thing to sit at home and practice and um you know that's fine it's i still enjoy that but really it's just so much fun hearing it all coming together yeah. you and your friends making music together and um choosing bass part of it for sure i mean i love the way bass sounded and everything i love the role it played in the band but i also am the kind of guy who likes to set reasonable goals and if you're listening to like van halen or acdc i've used this example a few other times but do you and you you don't know how to play an instrument at all which what seems more reasonable learning to do michael anthony's job or eddie van halen's job yeah. or learning to do <laughs> williams job or learning to do angus young's job you know like yeah. i'm like I, I think i could actually play bass yeah, in a band yeah. but i at the time i was like there's just no way those guys playing lead guitar that stuff's borderline magic you know it's yeah. like you can't i couldn't even imagine as a as a beginning musician being able to play like that so i love how bass sounded i loved its what it did in a band you know like bass player like peter baltes from accept mm. cliff williams and mark evans from acdc the, the stuff that they wrote um obviously iron maiden too but um for sure i really liked some of those guys who did the straightforward stuff you know like I, I liked hearing that foundation so and it and it also did seem like a not unreasonable goal to strive for to be able to play that kind of bass and then you know as i heard the harder and harder stuff and became a little better i i wanted to push myself but in the beginning i just wanted to lay it down and there's always something like that still in my head to where if a song sounds better with me just laying it down, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm not going to try and force a bunch of tech stuff in there just to have it in there. Do you, how long, how long do you have to spend with the song before you realize like, Oh, I, I can lay it down or I can jazz it up. Like how long do you spend with a song before, you know, you're like that part's complete or this song is complete bass wise. Um, it depends, you know, sometimes it's pretty obvious. And then other times, um, you know we just we're, we figure it out in the studio like a lot of the bass parts i do some of the the ones where it's different from the guitar especially on rob and eric's songs like i said for my own songs mm -hmm. I've, i have more time to think about it but for their songs a lot of the time i come in knowing the riffs but then i'm like well what really is going to sound good here guys and they'll be in the studio with me and we'll talk about it and we'll try different things you know um they'll say hey try it eric for example he likes me doing chromatic stuff mm -hmm. underneath some of these parts um which makes it sound like you know like a walking bass line really where you're you're kind of walking between chord tones and that and that's something i hadn't done a whole lot i usually kind of stuck to chord tones when i would write things you know keeping everything really in key and he would like to have those little bits of dissonance um there's a part like that in the title track chaos horrific it's it's not easy to hear actually but there is some chromatics in there and that was at eric's suggestion mm. Um, 
I want. I'm just gonna bring this up, and then I'm gonna ask the next question. Uh, you you have a peculiar style of like your galloping triple finger feet here. Yes. Does that something you saw someone do, or is that something that just came out of necessity, or like? How I can. I I have a very exact answer <laughs> for this, and it's it's really um. More than anything, it's from trying to figure out what Steve DiGiorgio was doing on Sadis's demos and then their first album, Illusions, which mm. later became known as Chemical Exposure. But um, I could tell it was fingerstyle bass playing. I could tell it was really fast. Like, you know, Steve's still a great friend and an amazing bass player. You know, I've known him since. So, well, here, I'll finish the story, actually. I didn't know what was going on, and this is, like, late 80s. I'm like, man, how's this guy doing this? And this is back when people would write to each other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes contact information would have a phone number or something. Sadus's didn't, but it did say that they were in Antioch, California. And I remember, you know, like, that was... And so I'm like, oh, well, what if I call information and see if I can find Steve's phone number? So I actually did that, and, you know, this sounds crazy nowadays. <laughs> yeah. People wouldn't would never do that but back then i used to get people cold calling me like hey man you know i got your number from so and so and it was the only way to get in touch pre-internet you know you would either that or you'd write and i was we were doing plenty of both you know so i called up steve i'm like dude i just had to talk to you i love how you play and he was totally accommodating even though it's a little weird back then not nearly as weird as it would be now but he was you know super patient with me he explained to me the way he does things which um again not to go too deep into tech stuff but <laughs> he would get a pattern of four by going back to the middle finger that's what he said so starting with the ring middle index ring and just repeat that and so i you know i was super grateful for that we ended up staying in touch as pen pals and then later meeting in person once they started touring and we started touring when and now we see each other you know mm. regularly because he's in testament and we're cannibal tours so we end up touring with them or seeing them at festivals pretty often um but yeah he really accommodating he taught me that so i sat there trying to learn it and i kept trying and trying but really my fingers ended up falling into playing it a different way mm. and i'd end up accenting I guess every you know because what you're trying to do with your three fingers to make it sound like that awesome up and down picking that guys like james hetfield and you know a bunch of death metal everybody in death metal is playing up and down and thrash too to get that to at least even try to do that fast with your fingers um you're trying to make these three fingers sound like four because really for most people the pinky's just not going to do it it's it's anatomically useless for a lot of us for 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 plucking it's just so much weaker no matter what you do you're not going to turn this little one into right. one of these right. bigger ones it's, so for me the, the the fourth one moves but that's just because it's attached you know people think i play with four fingers sometimes i'm like no it just it would be more work to try and make it this not move yeah so um so yeah i basically accenting like one two three four one two three four one two three four like that like it's let the the accent it's going across in three but it's in groups of four so it's it's a pattern that repeats every 12 notes and if anybody's still awake out there you're welcome to ask the next question <laughs> no i think i think uh these are the kinds of conversations that i like to have because again like uh you do we do get into to, into the nerdier things but i mean like if we're going to be honest i'm sure a lot of the people that follow you are based people that are into bass and you, you know like i'm sure they that's all a, have those questions like oh, what, where does he get the tone from you know i can't they yeah, can't call a, you a up good they can't point. Call I, don't, I don't think i don't think anybody who's not interested in bass playing has made it this far <laughs> into the interview yeah so that's a good point yeah so yeah we have all the people that we're, we're only telling the yep. stories they want to hear at this point yeah um yep. one of the things i you know and i i, I i hate i had james from uh, our human furnace from ringworm on and i kept like saying like how they he had been around the, the band had been around for 30 years you know what i mean and th- again like i don't want to keep like harping on like how long you guys have been around but like you know you're coming up on 40 years almost and mm-hmm. like that's just a feat in general for many many different reasons right uh you guys you and um you know you have one other longtime original member and i'm blanking on his name right now oh paul, paul yeah there it is so you, it's just you and him and like maintaining that tenure is insane but also like 
maintaining a band within that this genre is insane you know you know you guys have been doing this and i don't want to say this your only full-time gig but i mean you've also been doing cannibal corpse full-time quote-unquote for so long too there's like so many different feats that you guys have accomplished over the years but the main question that i really wanted to know is like how do you guys just keep writing you know every album because like you know you're in you're into it 40 years for most some of you guys and like where where do the ideas come from at this point <laughs> yeah well for the lyrics that's it's almost like a different right different it's story it's from a little easier the music yeah, yeah the, the the lyrics to me it's a little bit harder actually okay. because we oh, have to we have to kind of think about um different stories i mean we we want to keep in this horror theme you know like and usually the really violent side of horror is what we're dealing with you know um so basically it ends up being a very specific scenario like you know like um oh i'm trying to think pitchfork impalement that's very specific you know (laughs) we might have had some some other impalement song earlier on but pitchfork first time pretty sure (laughs) i'll look through our lyrics but but you know what i mean like it's kind of like we're being very specific like um well look at violence their first album i remember they have a song called serial killer Mm. killer song by the way awesome song but i'm thinking well hell we couldn't do that we've got like 20 songs about serial killers but it has to be really specific about what each of them is doing and how it might be different from the other different perspective maybe victim's perspective one-time killer's perspective or just Mm -hmm. basic third person or or whatever so there's various different ways to approach doing things that are i mean we are repeating ourselves a bit you know of course so we have to kind of get really specific for it not to be overly repetitive but yeah we've had a lot of serial killer songs a lot of zombie songs a lot of songs where people are being captured you know and having bad things done to them you know it's all the all the bad stuff we sing about it or we have over the years so that that becomes tricky now if we can switch to the music side of things i actually think that's a little bit easier because Mm. um that's just one of my favorite things is to sit down and start trying to write some new music Mm. it's my favorite part at this point like i love the touring i love recording although that's the hardest part really recording's the hardest part because you're under the microscope but the creative part sitting down and writing music is just so much fun it's never a problem you know if if it ever is like if i'm ever having a day where i'm just not feeling out skip it and come back the next day but usually it just it flows pretty easily um and i think the other guys are probably like that too and it's very helpful to have several guys who are really creative in the band and enjoy writing as well yeah um because each of us write three or four songs musically and maybe three or song four songs lyrically too and paul joins in on the lyrics and sometimes the music as well so um yeah it's it helps that we're a team that that everybody likes making creative content you know what i mean like we all like writing and and expressing ourselves that way and it's um it's the fun part in many ways you know um so music i'm not really too worried about repeating too like on my side of it like the way i if i'm gonna start with a song just with a blank slate i'm like okay let's pick a tempo pick a scale and pick a time signature and we'll go from there and see if anything good comes out. So I might say, let's go seven, eight, because that's always a cool kind of progish sounding thing. But then we'll make it kind of fast, but something fast enough where I can pick all the 16th notes. So like 170 BPM. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, what scale? Hungarian minor is always a good one or something, you know, whole tone scale. So those are, you know, I'll kind of set some parameters and then just go with that and see how it works out. Mm-hmm. And then... For the next song, I'll make sure I don't use any of those things. That way the next song sounds different. Maybe the next song will just be 4-4 and then faster and different scale. So that, and it's it's fun to give yourself a few boundaries to work within. It, yeah. it can be overwhelming to just start out and be like, well, what do I do? You know, <laughs> so if you give yourself, if you give yourself a few guidelines to work within, it can spur the creativity I've found. Yeah, it would be opposite for me. I, I would think that like the content lyrically, because you can pull from so many different, you know, actual real life experiences that happen, like with serial killers or any kind of like victim things or any horror things, like you can pull from that or like any, 
you know, I, I feel like lyrically it's way easier. But again, that, that's why it's different between you and I. And, you know, I would think that writing a really fucking cohesive, dope song is uh, musically is way harder mm-hmm. than just fucking, you know, writing about the lyrics that go on top. But yeah, that. and I mean, it's like like you said earlier though that's why you're doing but that's why you're doing that alex and that's why i'm not doing any of that you know what i mean yeah well i mean it it helps like i say it just helps to have a bunch of different people and then if you do come up with a good idea for the lyrics you know then it's like okay cool i'm gonna go with this thing that i managed to think of but um yeah it's a little harder you know being on album 16 i mean if you're really trying to keep it fresh, yeah. it's um, I feel like it's just a little bit harder for the lyrics than it is for the music. Yeah, I I, I can see that. I can see that. Um, how do you guys like? How have you guys overcome? And I don't know if you have fully overcame it yet, but how do you guys deal with like people who don't understand the the con- the lyrical content or like? the approach for like bands like Cannibal Corpse and death metal bands that like, you know, granderize all this like horror and like, you know, brutal imagery because obviously like, you know, one of the things I remember as a kid growing up was, which probably like made me not listen to Cannibal Corpse for a long period of time when I was younger, uh, mm-hmm. was the album artwork and stuff like that. Just was like, that, it was crazy. Just like all the other death metal bands were, but like, how have you guys overcome mm-hmm. that? And do you, how do you deal with it still to this day? Cause obviously like, culture is probably crazier now than it was 10 years ago but either or yeah i mean i think we've we've tried over the years in interviews and i'll i'll do it now and we've done it you know hundreds of times before but we'll say you know it's it's entertainment Mm -hmm. we do not want to promote violence in any way you know like just get that out of the way right away that it's um it's not different than somebody writing a horror novel or making a horror movie or any other form of violent entertainment but i think where people get confused with the music is um how it sounds first of all you know so it sounds really brutal so so to have these brutal lyrics on top of it and you're presenting yourself in this really aggressive way on stage like just totally raging you know um so some people i could see on the outside of the scene not really understanding where we're coming from you know like like oh are these guys like promoting this stuff that they sing about it's like no no that's that's not it and any more than stephen king is promoting something violent that happened in one of his books or or whatever you know um and we tried to be clear about that that it's you know it's fictional entertainment and it's confusing i think for music for the reasons i mentioned and also because music is usually used by people to express something that they experienced in their right, life right, right, you know right, what right, i mean right. or yeah they're writing about a relationship or uh, some problem they've had and we're writing about stuff that we have no experience with <laughs> yeah you know what i thankfully you know I what that, i mean I like it's all really horrible stuff yeah i think that is the biggest biggest disconnect in the way and how you put that uh because mm-hmm. a lot of people do use music to even correlate to their personal life in general like it could be a song for a specific moment so a lot of people just equate the two together and you know, people don't uh, like concept albums are really they're fun, and I love concept albums. But you know, a lot of people don't necessarily understand when it when it is a concept album or when it's not a concept album. So they don't necessarily know that it's a storyline they're following, or if it's like mm-hmm. the artist's life or experience. So, yeah, that makes a little bit of sense there. Yeah. So you know, we we've, we've tried to make that clear, and I think um, you know, when it comes to violent entertainment in general. I think probably people don't give themselves enough credit for being able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because if it was really that big of a thing, how could any of these horror movies even get made? I'm going to take death metal out of the picture for a minute and just look at how popular really violent horror movies are. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, they're way bigger than the biggest death metal band. <laughs> You know, like, they, they there's a much, there's a definitely a huge audience for macabre things. And I think the disconnect with music is some of that stuff I mentioned to yeah. where it's just hard for people to understand music being used for horror, where it's easier for them to understand it being used for a book or a movie, yeah, you know, or a TV show or whatever. But yeah, some of the stuff, like I didn't know, I, I hadn't followed the show, I guess it's Hannibal, mm-hmm. and I ended up seeing an episode recently, and I was like, this was on network TV, <laughs> yeah. this show. 
I couldn't believe it because that's like R-rated violence. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, things have come a long way in terms of what people will accept. Oh, yeah. uh, it, you know, so um, I think overall people people get it. You know, they know the difference between, you know, horror fiction and, you know, something that's real or whatever. So, and plus there's horrible stuff on the news all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's kind of like, you know. It's kind of like back in the day you would have... So, and like they would have these like faces of death videos or the VHSs where you know you, mm-hmm. and now you see all that stuff on Twitter and Instagram or TikTok all day long those scenes but beforehand you could only see it like your buddy had to have like an older brother that had the tape and then of course those mm-hmm. tapes all had like bands like Cannibal Corpse and all these other Napalm Death you know styled music death metal in the background of it while all these wild images and videos are going on I think one thing that is important to mention too, you're talking about how things are accepted a mm-hmm. bit more now, but they will always be gross. You know, yeah. it's always <laughs> grotesque, disturbing stuff. It, it should be. Yeah. That's how you should feel about these things. Right. You know what I mean? Like I, the, the artwork that we do, it's disturbing on purpose. It's not meant to be nice. You know what I mean? I, I don't ever want it to be like someone looks at Butchered at Birth and it's like, oh, that's nice. You know, like, no, it's Put it's, on the really, it's really disturbing and that was the intent of the art. And ditto for the lyrics and the music. It's meant to be that way. You know, you don't don't want, you know, entertainment. I mean, you want that kind of stuff to be out there and of course it's gross, you know, mm-hmm. but we also don't want people to feel like they shouldn't do it yeah. just because it's disturbing. You know what I mean? Like it should be something that people can exp- express, you know, obviously, like I said, horror movies are enormously popular, you know, right, so right, right, right. It, there's clearly a morbid curiosity that people have, For sure. not just people who like death metal. Yeah, I agree. You know? I agree. This is an easy, easy culprit or to point a finger at. I got two more real quick questions, and then I'll cut you loose because we've been running at it a little bit longer or a little longer here. Uh, cool. One, speaking of grotesque imagery and album covers, what is Alex's favorite album cover for Cannibal Corpse? For Cannibal Corpse, uh, EP, live album, or st- f- full length? Well, the Butchered at Birth one is sort of the classic. <laughs> I mean, that... If you have to pick one that's yeah. really the iconic one and it's just such a cool piece of art that Vince did and then I really like the censored version of Gallery of Suicide. Mm. That one it's like that kind of dark kind of purple brown kind of thing in this big menacing looking building. I just I really like that one and that's not a gory one. You know, um it just captures a vibe and so that's that's one of my favorites, but I love all the stuff Vince has done. I think the one for Torture turned out great. All of them have turned out great, but, um, you know, some we like more than others. But, yeah, yeah Butchered at Birth, that's like the classic. And then, um, uh, yeah, I like the censored version of Gallery. I just thought it was a really a really cool building and atmosphere that he created with that, that artwork. Nice. We'll have to throw those up on screen, so I may have to edit it which is a bummer but you know we'll do it for the pod um (laughs) my last thing that i'll I'll ask about and i'm sure you get asked periodically about it but um like did you guys have any kind of relationship with jim carrey during the pet detective uh stuff like because i know he was into you know thrash metal at that time but like have you guys maintained a relationship with jim over the years or we have not, but we did get to hang out with him a little bit during the shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was there, and um, yeah, we got to meet a little bit. And between takes, he would come up and chat. You know, so but it was it was two days. There were originally going to be more scenes, and we even did another song. Mm-hmm. Um, Hammer smashed face made it into the movie. Yeah, one scene in the theatrical version, and then there's two scenes in the version that plays on cable TV. Um, <laughs> But we shot, I think, maybe four scenes, at least three, and a couple of them didn't make it in. And But, yeah, we spent two days there, and they were like 12-hour days. I think we were going nine to nine. Mm. And all those fans, uh, some of whom we were actually friends with in the audience, they just had to kind of stand around with us. I think they were each, I don't know how much money everybody was getting, probably like 50 bucks a day or something yeah, like something that. And we right. got a bit more because we were technically actors. Such a cool, weird experience. But yeah, he was really nice. He knew of our songs, 
you know he had yeah. a couple that he asked us to play and rob had just joined the band so we ended up playing ones that rob knew for our set list we didn't want him to have to mime a song he didn't know right but um i just thought it was cool that he knew enough about us to even request certain songs yeah. you know it was, it was really cool very nice guy everybody involved with the movie was really cool and um it's incredible how much I ended up looking at movies differently after that. Like, I never thought about the fact that they have to shoot everything twice when people are having a conversation. Mm -hmm. They shoot it once over one person's shoulder, and then they shoot it again. The whole conversation gets shot all over again over the other person's shoulder. Yeah. Because, of course, the cameras are meant to be invisible when you have a movie. You know, you couldn't you couldn't show that. So it's... um. They have to shoot everything twice. It's really, it takes a long time. And as hard as it is to record albums, God, making a movie, it's very tedious. I can't imagine. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> they, they, those people work hard. I agree. You know? I agree. That is uh, something I don't necessarily, I mean, we, we, we edit some documentary style stuff over here, but that's way more than we need to do. You know, I don't need my hands in every little thing like that. But, um, Alex, we appreciate your time. Uh, if you've made it this far, you are a base head and you've enjoyed <laughs> yep. yourself. So hopefully Alex answered some of your questions you've been dying to ask him about his tones and everything like that and direct input or analog. So, yeah, um, this podcast comes out on the 20th. It's 20th now. So the 22nd, Chaos Horrific is going to drop. Make sure you, if you haven't pre-ordered it, pre-save it. Check it out. You can find all of Alex's, uh, not Alex's, but Candle Corpse's uh info and links in the description and yeah alex thanks for your time and good congratulations on the new record and the new touring cycle to come with everything for the next couple of years for it hey thanks so much for the opportunity and um yeah by the time this comes out we should be just about starting our tour as mm -hmm. well so mm -hmm. hope to see everybody out there we got a great tour this fall and it's um yeah us mayhem gore guts and blood incantation so Hell check yeah. that out that's gonna be a good one and uh possibly a new video music video with the album right where that's right yeah yeah okay. yep. there'll be um should be a video coming the day that the album comes out as well so keep an eye out cool thanks alex hey thanks so much man this is the story of whitney houston this is the story of kurt cobain of george michael of otis redding of amy winehouse of michael hutchins bob marley this is the story of prince it's a new podcast series about how they died why they died and why we're still talking about them so long after it's like nothing you've ever heard before it's storytelling but it's more than that because rock stars they tell us how we feel they change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.